hey. <laughs> Our screen is not showing uh, what is going to be on this TV. So I was sitting here moving stuff around, yeah. and I realized even though I can't see myself, I'm probably on. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, live amateur TV, everyone. Hello, and welcome to the Atheist Experience. I'm your host, Russell Glasser, and with me today is Jen Peoples. Hey. Welcome back. Thank you. Haven't seen you in a while. Yeah. We were just having an interesting off-air discussion about oil and gas yeah. technical <laughs> stuff. Uh, today is Sunday, March 5th, 2017. We are a live call-in, internet-based atheist TV show broadcasting from Austin, Texas, dedicated to promoting positive atheism and the separation of church and state. You can catch us live every Sunday on YouTube or Ustream.tv. The official Atheist Experience website is www.atheist-experience.com. You can also provide feedback by commenting on the official show blog, which is freethoughtblogs.com slash AXP. You can email us at tv at atheist-community.org, or you can join the official atheist, the Atheist Experience official discussion group on Facebook. And if you enjoy the, uh, this show, then you should uh, feel free to check out our related podcast, The Nonprofits, which is currently airing on the first and third Wednesdays of every month. You can find links at the Atheist Experience website, and the next Nonprofits will be recorded on Wednesday, March 15th. As always, the cast and crew of The Atheist Experience will be going to dinner after the show at Star of India at 2900 West Anderson Lane. We'll arrive around 6.15 p.m. or so. Uh, anyone who's local is welcome to join. Uh, so, how have you been? Oh, not too bad. Okay. Pretty Anyth busy. Anything you need to get off your chest today before callers? Well, yeah. <clears throat> ah. So, <laughs> um, from time to time we get... Um, emails or people pop into um, either the Atheist Community of Austin's Facebook group or the official discussion group, and they make comments like, oh, hey, the school board in my local school district or, or the, the teachers in my local school are violating the Constitution by promoting creationism or intelligent mm -hmm. design or something like that, and, you know, this is going on. Or hey, I had to swear an oath for jury duty or to get a public service job or something like that. And they made me swear, so help me God. And, you know, so just so you know, this is still going on. And, sure. and my comment to that is, have you contacted the ACLU about this? Because I can tell you that the magic atheist fairies are not going to come <laughs> down and solve this problem for you. Um, there is a remedy for you. And sitting back and waiting for somebody else to fix it for you is not the remedy. So if your child is being taught creationism in a public school under the guise of intelligent design or teach the controversy, you need to contact the local school board and lodge a complaint. And if the school board doesn't respond to your complaint, contact the ACLU. Um, I promise you they will talk to you about this. They will give you some advice on how to proceed, and they may even take the case for you. Um, you can also contact Americans United for Separation of Church and State. They have attorneys on staff. They will help you out. Um, <coughs> Freedom from Religion Foundation will also help you out. Um, what will not help is sitting there and just taking it. Um, and again, it's one of those things that 
people have, in various situations have been fighting for basic civil rights for a long time. And no one from the group that was violating their basic civil rights ever woke up one day and said, oh, gosh, we got to stop doing this. <laughs> you know, it was always they were forced to stop doing this and forced to acknowledge people's basic civil rights and stop violating them because someone stepped up and said, I'm not taking this anymore. So don't be one of those people that sets a new standard by refusing to fight for your own basic civil rights. If they're being violated, call somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, while you're mentioning the ACLU, they can always use your support. Absolutely. Back in the old days when we were on public access, we had certain rules that we couldn't promote shit. But yeah, uh, now we can. Give money to the ACLU yeah. and have out. Because yeah. they do important work in terms of uh, protecting the civil rights of atheists along with many other people. That's right. And in fact, um, a lot of the cases, like um, the, uh, I guess it was um, Abington v, I uh, forget what it was, township that was actually the, the case that got um, public um, or prayers taken out of public schools. Um, it was actually forced prayers out of public schools. Um, the case should have been Murray v. Curlett because um, Madeline Murray actually had filed her suit before the other one was filed. But <coughs> anyway, uh, the other case involved um, a minority religious family that objected to explicitly Christian prayers being forced upon their children in a public school. So it doesn't matter whether you're an atheist or if you're um, Jewish or Christian or Muslim or Hindu or whatever. Um, if your religious freedoms are being violated, the ACLU will take your case because that is their mission, is defense of the, of the Bill of Rights. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, let's see. I had a, a brief thing I wanted okay, to mention. Sure. Um, I don't know. It was just some thoughts about uh, the last time I was on. I think it was two or three weeks ago with uh, Phil Session. Uh, and, um, you know, so sometimes I like to get a little meta with self-analysis of the show. Um, and uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just sharing some thoughts. Uh, when you're sitting in the host chair, uh, the things that entertain you personally are not always... Like, it's, it's not always easy to see the perspective of an outside viewer. Like, for instance, uh, last uh, last time I was on, uh, you know, I noticed that there were a lot of theist callers lined up. And I was like, oh, awesome. This is our bread and butter. We want to talk to as many of these for as long as we can. And I've, I've always known that, like, people who are in the viewing audience have very different tastes about what kinds of calls we like. For yeah. instance, uh, there are a lot of people who make fun of us when we do, like, self-help calls for atheists, who, yeah. you know, people who are calling in saying, you know, I want some advice about how to deal with my religious relatives. Um, there are other people who really, really like those calls, and, and we, we get a lot of feedback. You know, there are plenty of people who complain that we don't take enough theist callers. Hell, there was one guy years ago who actually, like, was trying to threaten and blackmail the show that he would, like... Uh, oh, yes. troll us more unless we increased the number of theist callers that we took, which yes. is actually uh, logistically impossible for us since we can't 
force people to call right. the show. <laughs> but every once in a while, I get uh, I get to be on a show where um, the theist callers are lining up, and they are various degrees of wacky. Um, <laughs> and like I said, um, our audience has. Con- sometimes contradictory opinions about the way we should run things, and they are not shy about letting us know. And so, you know, we get emails like lots of people telling us what they did like, lots of people telling us what they didn't like. Uh, sometimes they're mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and sometimes I I am reading comments on like the blog and uh, and feel like oh <laughs> that yeah. guy doesn't like me. Uh, so, in the last show, I, we spent a good long time talking to, like, first one guy who was, uh, promoting what sounded like a, a pretty out there conspiracy theory, <laughs> but it wasn't completely outside the realm of pot, uh, of so- stuff that people actually do believe and I found it funny to talk to him but then some people thought that he was a guy who calls back like several weeks in a row with different wacky theories so just a Um, frequent flyer that yeah and then I talked to Hamish too Yeah. (laughs) and personally I think Hamish is hilarious I could talk to him all day (laughs) some people think he's a troll uh, I'm not convinced. Um, but, you know, the fact that he's so aggrieved about everything. I'm saying, I'm not going to talk to him all the time. I haven't talked to him in months and months, and I had a lot of fun with him. But I get it when people also think that it's boring. So, uh, you know, I'll keep an eye on the level of attention that specific theist callers are getting on a show-to-show basis. You know, we're all kind of flying by the seat of our pants here, so, um, you know, your feedback is welcome, for real. I mean, I I read your stuff, I I pay attention, I can't make everybody happy, but, uh, I don't know, just talking about the show. Yeah. Uh, anyway... We are going to start with... uh, Okay, so we got three theists and a deist on our six lines today. Uh, (laughs) We'll see what happens with Christopher, first of all. And my microphone is doing that thing again. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think it's Christopher in Missouri, are you there? Hey. Hey, hi. Hey, Russell. Hey, Jen. How are you guys? All right. Pretty good. How are you? Good. Um, so basically, uh, I just called in today to ask about uh, near-death experiences a little bit. It's a topic that you know fascinates me. I was just wondering what you guys thought about it. Well, what do you think about it? Hmm. Well, um, basically, what I think about it is um, it seems like a lot of people are having very similar experiences, and I don't. It's kind of um, interesting, <laughs> like to read about the degree of overlap and similarities between different experiences. Well, what do you mean okay. by similarities in experiences? Yeah, like, uh, okay, so I pulled up, uh, you know, like one of the chief websites about it. Um, like a lot of people see uh, tunnels. Uh, people talk about, um, 
telepathy, life reviews, all these different topics. And, like, when you read through the near-death experiences, like, you know, they a lot of people have these very similar experiences. And um, I guess what I'm thinking about is, um, you know, I try to think, like, what are the possible explanations? Well, one, you know, it could be our brains. Two, it could be conspiracy theory, like a conspiracy. Yeah, um, I, or three... <laughs> Um, I think I can say straight up, we're not going to take the conspiracy approach. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, so okay, so we can eliminate the conspiracy. That's good. Can, can okay, I then, suggest uh, something, though, about uh, people who have uh, shared experiences? Yeah. Sure. I, I think that, uh, you know, in, in uh, one case, like you brought up that it could be our brains, which is kind of vague, but there are... Mm -hmm. uh, you know, ways that people describe things like, you know, a light at the end of a tunnel that can be chalked up to certain firings of your neurons right. uh, basically uh, affecting your perception of vision in different ways. Um, mm -hmm. And another way that you didn't touch on yet, maybe you were going to, is cultural. Um, mm -hmm. And taking this outside the realm of... Uh, of not necessarily talking about religious experiences, but a lot of people say that they have experienced uh, alien abductions, for instance. Yeah. And I don't know how you feel about that, but um, these alien abductions didn't seem to start happening with any consistency until sometime in the middle of the 20th century when aliens and spaceships had already entered the popular culture because, like, science fiction had popularized them. And then, like, people started gelling around a particular kind of experience, which, uh, you know, they didn't necessarily make up on purpose as a conspiracy, but maybe they had heard other stories about aliens and they were able to contextualize that in their minds by saying, oh, yeah, this is just like that guy I read about who also got abducted by aliens. And so when, when people talk about having similar experiences, um, you have to watch out for people, even if they're not consciously lying, they may be unconsciously influenced by things that they have heard or think they understand already. So that's... Just throwing that out there. Yeah, yeah, and I understand that point. Um, I mean, it does seem to jive with a lot of the stories I read where people say, you know, I never heard of near-death experiences. And, you know, uh, some people say, like, they're actually afraid to tell stories to other people because they're afraid of being judged, afraid of being labeled. And then they don't actually come out and talk about their experience until much later in time when they start to read about other near-death experiences, mm -hmm. and then they say, oh, well, I can't be that crazy if, you know, these other people have had, you know, the same experiences I had. And one other point I wanted to make was, uh, you know, you guys said how, you know, it's, uh, you know, your brain can produce, like, visuals and hallucinations, and, you know, I know about that. I took a classes in neuroscience, but uh, the one thing about near-death experiences always, like, interests me a lot is the fact that a lot of people come back with very specific pieces of information such as, you know, phrases that they hear from God, where God says, you know, the meaning of life is to learn how to love, or okay. um, life is like a school. And I, I don't know, I just don't have a real great reason, like how a brain, all of our brains could, like, 
you know, have these same phrases ingrained in them. Right. I mean, pardon me for saying so, but, like, God mm-hmm. has these apparently rare opportunities to communicate directly with people and give them special messages, and he can't think of anything better to say than the secret is to love. I mean, <laughs> could yeah. could he come up with something more specific, like, hey, you could end world hunger if you use this uh, unlimited energy device that'll give you the plans for right now? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, mean, something people couldn't actually come up with on their own. What? Okay. Um, I don't don't really understand your point. You're saying, so why didn't God come up with a better thing to say? But what if, like, that that actually is just the meaning of life? Well, are are you familiar with the term (laughs) deepity? Sorry, what? Are you familiar with the term deepity? Deepity? Deepity. As in, it sounds Uh. deep. But it's really not? Um, Sure. Uh, I'm not familiar with the term now. Okay. So it's a term that was coined by Daniel Dennett. (laughs) And he's basically saying that this is a term that, um, basically to whatever extent it's true, it's kind of trivial. And, you know, to whatever extent that it's not trivial, it's likely not true. Yeah, it's one of my favorite uh, examples was in the movie Mystery Men, where there's this wise old sage character, and he's like, remember, unless you learn to master your rage, and then Ben Stiller goes, your rage is going to be your master. That's what you were going to say, right? Because you just take what the first part of the sentence and reverse it. Yeah. <laughs> like, so sometimes things sound very deep and wise, but are just things that anybody could think of. If they can. Well, yeah, okay, yeah. okay, but I guess my point is just, I, like I said, I can't think of a reason why multiple people would, unless it's a conspiracy, unless they're, like, reading other people's well, stories and just saying, okay, I'm just going to lie about this. And, no, I mean, they probably are reading other people's stories, because if, they're, okay, if they've like, had this experience and they're as fascinated by this NDE phenomenon as you are, they've probably yeah, sought but, out information about this. They've read other people's stories. And just because they've incorporated maybe some elements of other people's stories into their own, it doesn't mean that's a conspiracy. I mean, okay, fine, but like I said, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how many stories you guys have read. I've, I've read a lot because I actually had something similar to an ND, and your death experience happened to me. Okay. Um, so okay. I've read a lot about it, probably more than you guys have. I'm, I'm not saying you haven't, but I, I, I just, I'm just saying I have read a lot. Okay. And the more, like, the more that you read, it's just like. Uh, it's just hard for me to imagine that that's actually what's going on here. Um, although I, I, I do admit I don't have proof of that. Um, I guess they could all be doing that, but, um, yeah. So. Well, I mean, um, let's think of it in another context, because you talked about, you know, it could be something to do with your brain. And mm-hmm. most people who are involved in some kind of near-death experience, um, it's usually the result of some kind of, you know, trauma or maybe something, you know, happened during surgery and, you know, they, I guess one of the common themes is that they, their, their brain was deprived of oxygen for a period of time, either because their heart yep. failed or they lost a lot of blood or something happened. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know what happens to your brain when it doesn't get oxygen? Yep. Okay. So. It starts to die and you do release chemicals that 
produce experiences that could be described as similar to NDEs. Uh, blanking on the name yeah. of the one chemical that everyone says, but well, and um, I mean yeah, the, the exact chemical is not not even important. It's the fact that a brain deprived of oxygen, um, it starts kind of misfiring, and one of the things that happens is that um, you know if you're conscious while this happens. Um, typically, uh, you start to get what they call tunnel vision. So you will see a light at the end of a tunnel because basically your peripheral vision starts to shut down. Uh, um, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that's true. Uh, there was, a, I don't know if you guys know this particular experience, uh, I think his name was Dr. Eben Alexander, who basically had a yeah. meningitis. Yeah, so, I mean... I don't know if that experience is true, um, and that would kind of poke holes in that theory because the part of his brain, you know, responsible for producing hallucinations, producing visions, like, was completely destroyed by the bacteria. But uh, I don't know. Um, I just know that what I, when I had an uh, experience, it was uh, my brain actually wasn't damaged at all. Uh, I actually caught in a couple weeks ago, talked about it. Um, but I really, you know, it, was, it wasn't, a, I don't think it was a hallucination. It was too real. And I just, uh, I don't know. Um, so how would you I know, define? I, know I believe, but I can't, like, convince other people of it because they, they didn't see it themselves. So all I can do is try to talk to people about it. And, um, I don't know. So you said that it was too real, but how would you, I mean, if you're having a hallucination, one of the things that, that people report during hallucinations is that it seems very real to them. So how mm-hmm. how do you determine that yours was something too real to have been a hallucination? Mm, well, I mean, uh, I wasn't on, like, any drugs or anything, so there was no explicit cause for it. So if it was a hallucination, that means that, you know, your brain can just hallucinate at any time at any place, and you would have no idea that, like, what you're experiencing is reality versus hallucination. For a lot of people, very vivid imaginary scenarios play out in their minds every night when they go to sleep. I mean, it's not just drugs. There are a lot of different situations that can cause your brain to present you with weird situations that aren't real. Okay. Well, I'm... Like I said, I mean, I'm pretty sure it was real, but I can't okay. prove it, unfortunately. Oh, and that's, oh, that reminded me of another point I wanted to make. Okay, so uh, sometimes when uh, I talked to Matt, actually, he said that, you know, if uh, for your ethics experiences, well, they did studies and the studies came out negative and, you know, he was using that as proof that your yeah. ethics experiences weren't real. But uh, the thing is, is, okay, so if your ethics experiences are real, okay, now I'm not saying that proves that God's real, but it at least points in that direction, why? Um, couldn't God couldn't God just make the test fail? I mean, he's in control of everything, right? <laughs> he exists, <laughs> so he could just make the test fail. And, and so, he would do this I because I mean, wait, wait, let's think about this, okay? <laughs> I can I so, can tell you why. So you're you're claiming that this gotta... this being exists that you call God, mm-hmm. and it wants us to believe it exists, and it supposedly wants some kind of relationship with us. But it would yeah, deliberately. It it but it would deliberately sabotage a test designed to demonstrate that something that gives certain people access to it is not real. How does that make any yeah. sense? Well, I guess 
Because in the Bible it says, you know, thou shalt not put God to the test, so he doesn't want us to know for so, but, fact but this that is, but, the, well, but there were, according to the Bible, there were plenty of people who had direct contact with God and, and yeah, could attest to that. like, not believe until Jesus saw him, and then Jesus made a big point about how, you know, it's better not to believe in everything. Or better, sorry, better not to see, better to just believe on faith. And, and yeah, and that is a very that? convenient excuse yeah, for religion is. not to have to demonstrate anything, which which is great not only for Christianity but for all kinds of uh, New Age hucksters who don't want you to look too deeply into why they're magical herbs. Yeah, don't yeah. actually do and anything. I admit I I don't know the mind of God and like why he's <laughs> like the way right. he is, but I did have a dream one time okay. where. Well, you know, when like you do know the mind of God, maybe call back. And by the way, even Alexander, this guy he talked about, um, actually yeah. there's a lot of criticism of that account. I think some on our own blog back in the midst of time. Somewhere. Yeah, something about that. And basically there was a 2013 investigation into his story and his medical mm-hmm. background. And it turns out that um, before he published that uh, Proof of Heaven book that supposedly recounted this uh-huh. near-death experience... Um, he'd been terminated or suspended from multiple hospital positions and, and had been the subject of several malpractice lawsuits, including at least two involving the alteration of medical records to cover up a medical error. So Man, this is the credibility. Go to any lengths to stop I know, from finding out the I truth. Know. It, so, you know, little tidbit on the credibility of this guy that you're using yeah. as your primary source for this or whatever. Anyway. All right. Uh, we're going to an atheist caller now, uh, Mitchell in Sunnyvale, California. Hi there. Hi. How you doing? Good. All right. How are you? Good. So I want to talk about why Richard Dawkins is wrong about religion. Okay. So uh, one of the things he says early on in The God Delusion is that yeah, he's trying to prove, disprove that God exists, right? Did I say that right? No, he's yeah. not. He no. proves that God doesn't exist. No, he's not trying to do Have you actually read no. The God Delusion? Yeah, I mean, he says yes, actually almost the opposite. Yeah. What does he say? Uh, he says that, uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure he says there's no way to uh, prove for certain that a God who doesn't want to be found uh, doesn't exist. Uh, and he also brings up that spectrum where he says, you know, if you take, if you rank people from uh, one to seven, where one is absolutely certain that God exists and seven is absolutely certain that God doesn't exist, I would be like a 6.9, I seem to recall. So, I mean, I think that Richard Dawkins would object to you characterizing him as yeah. saying that he thinks it's proven. Well, yeah, and not only that, but I think his position is that it's really not his job to prove that a God doesn't exist. That's fine. Sure. I, and that, that's not what I, I just wanted to sort of establish that. And that's fine. You can go that route. No problem with that. One of the ways he does it is he says, it, I mean, he is arguing a little bit about, you know, his 6.9 position where he says, who designed the designer? He does say that in God's delusion. And that's one of the ways he argues that there's no evidence for God, which is, I agree with. Um, but it's really where he stops arguing about whether God exists or not, and he starts to talk about, a little bit later, why people have religion. 
And he's talking about priests manipulating the gullible. Okay. Uh, stuff, stuff like that. But he sort of doesn't follow. Well, there's there's a couple different points, but the first one is about who designed the designer. He sort of says, well, a priest just happens, or a shaman just happened to have this idea that he could manipulate his flock, if you will, by, you know, talking about this thing called God and that they'd all fall in line for various reasons or whatever reasons he says. But he, he sort of forgets about who designed the designer. He's sort of just dropping this idea that some priest just came up with it out of the clear blue sky and started to get people to respond to that. Okay. Uh, if people, it, it doesn't make any sense that they would respond. I mean, if, from our point of view as atheists, we'd say, what are you talking about, priest? It's ridiculous. God, something that's out there in the blue that you can't see? The point is there has to be a predisposition in people to have, have this belief. It isn't that the priest just suddenly decided that this was a way to manipulate people. It, it had to... The, the religion part of it, the belief in God part of it, had to pre-exist to have any leverage in the first place. Well, um. I, I, well, I mean, yes, humans are pattern-seeking creatures, and so we tend to attribute a cause to things, and sometimes we make a mistake, and we attribute a cause when there really isn't, or we misattribute a cause to something. Um, and if you were interested in manipulating that tendency in humans, religion is a good way to do that. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, That's right, but it only because it exists in the first place. I, I, mean, I, I, I don't think that. I personally wouldn't go so far as to say that religion is a predisposition. I would say instead that people are gullible, generally, like um, we, it, including me. I mean, yeah, I mean, we're, um, we are easily misled, especially when someone provides what seems to be a, a very neat ex- explanation for some event. And especially when that person projects an extreme amount of confidence right. or certainty in something they have no way of, of being sure about. Right. And, like, if the, and if the event inspires fear or loathing or something, some strong emotion in people, I think it gets even easier for someone to manipulate that. Well, again, all I can say is that it, it, it falls back to the idea that you can't manipulate somebody regardless of their predispositions for cause and effect, that this, this invisible thing out in the sky somewhere in the heavens is, is a legitimate way to look at it, to, uh, to assign cause. You can totally Clearly manipulate can. people for plenty of reasons. They yeah. don't have to already believe something for you to convince them of it. So you don't uh, think I, that I this mean, idea, who designed I mean, the designer, he uh, doesn't have the same obligation to to use that logic in his own argument for, uh, about why people have religion. That he, he does against, use uh, that logic uh, sometimes, but I mean, sitting in the chair of an atheist uh, show that I've been uh, hosting off and on for years and years, I can say... There's not just one argument that you should be married to as the silver bullet that will fix people's religions. Uh, you, uh, there are lots of different arguments, and you can't run them all simultaneously. You have to pick whichever one is the best one for the situation. 
And look, I am not a guy who thinks that Richard Dawkins is beyond all criticism. Right. I think you should be able to criticize anybody and have a discussion about individual things they say. But I'm not sure that you've caught Richard Dawkins on something specifically wrong that he said in this case. Yeah. All right. Well, I have one other idea that I'd like to run by you. Okay, but make it so quick. He says, oh, okay. He says... Um, Darwinian selection habitually targets and eliminates waste. Nature is a miserly accountant, grudging the pennies, watching the clock, punishing the smallest extravagance. So my concern there is that he says essentially evolution doesn't tolerate wasteful stuff. And yet he's talking about this weird behavior that people have uh, about believing in God and all the behaviors of religion, which is a very expensive, involved set of behaviors. So where's the punishing uh, the smallest extravagance? Well, I, I would say that um, some of the behaviors that religion encourages um, would not necessarily be regarded as wasteful depending on the environment. So, for example... Um, there's actually a paper that was published in Science Magazine several years ago that um, concerned where, what, you know, what kinds of societies produce morally concerned gods because mm. there are all kinds <laughs> of different manifestations of gods in all cultures all over the world, but what kinds of cultures produce gods that are concerned about um, a human's sort of moral behavior? And what they found was that it's only environments where resources are constrained where we see morally concerned gods. So in an environment like that, um, for someone to come into the group and basically not contribute anything, um, that would be very detrimental to the group. And so this sets sets up an us versus them. And in order to be part of the group, you have to follow certain rules. So... One of those rules in, uh, might include tithing to, you know, the the priests who basically set the rules. Um, the other one might be that um, there is always this entity watching over you all the time. And if you break one of the rules, like if you steal food or, you know, violate some kind of, of rule within the group, that's a sin and that's punished by, by you know, whatever the religion prescribes. Um, but yeah, I mean, this idea that you can't be a freeloader because somebody's watching you all the time, that might be, you know, very beneficial to somebody's survival in a resource constrained area. Right. And and, what you're saying is that there's a potentially beneficial purpose that it's, it's I wouldn't use the word purpose. I I wouldn't use the word purpose, but I would say that sometimes religion happens to be beneficial in the sense that it doesn't kill you and it maybe helps you survive in certain uh, situations. There are, like, um, there are traits that I wouldn't consider necessarily uh, good in people, like, for instance, uh, you know, violent, aggressive behavior, for instance might be bad for society as a whole, but if it uh, makes you, uh, like, kill somebody who's a rival for uh, for limited resources, that happens to be adaptive, even though we find it morally inappropriate. Um, right. 
And, you know, the the ways of getting along in a complicated society are are kind of difficult to nail down, which is why a lot of times I'm skeptical about things like uh, evolutionary psychology, which kind of gives pithy answers to, uh, you know, the question of why we behave in a certain way. But so I wouldn't presume to explain exactly why religion exists and continues to exist. But I would say, uh, you know, it's a little too glib to just say that religion is always bad for you in the long term survival sense. I happen to think that believing stuff that isn't true is is bad for your psyche in a lot of ways. Well, right. But at the same time. The fact that it does exist and has existed for so long suggests that there has to be some kind of adaptive reason that it continues to pers- uh, persist. Maybe, and that but Richard maybe it's just a shit-happens kind of side effect. I mean, yeah. re- remember that uh, people have only been, like, literate for a few thousand years, which is yeah. an eye blink, uh, and it's hard to get real specific about how evolution uh, uh influences a population in such a short period of time, which a lot of evolutionary, uh, which a lot of uh, biologists would say isn't even enough time to, enough generations to really measure a tangible effect. Well, that's literacy. You know, religion's been around at least 50,000, maybe 100,000 years. Yeah, and but again, I mean, the point it's... is, if Dawkins is saying that right. Nature is a miserly accountant punishing the smallest right. extravagance. That's enough time. Now, I, I mean, evolution people. works on the order of millions or billions yeah. of years. We're not talking about, or, well, maybe not billions, but tens or hundreds yeah, of but, millions. Yeah. Uh, well, so, yes, but yeah. it also can, they've also found in, in genetic studies that things can move much faster as well. Yeah, if they have really, really short life cycles, they can. Yeah, but I mean, I I don't know that you could claim that um, outside of of our willingness to attribute a cause to things that we see um, and to sometimes misattribute a cause, I don't think you could argue that there's a genetic basis for religion. Mm -hmm. Well, I would, but that's not this call. All right. Uh, okay. But the well, point is you kind okay. Of, you now, I, I think, uh, you know, we, we try not to spend too much time on one caller. So uh, I just yeah. want to say thanks for your call, and uh, we'll talk to you again sometime. All righty. Okay. Bye. See ya. Um, no. Wait. Oops. Wait. Sorry. Um, Dan in Atlanta has been on for a while. How are you? Oh, hi. 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 Sorry, I think there's a delay. Am I on? Yeah. We're on. Okay. Yeah, so um, I'm a theist, and when someone else makes a claim about <clears throat> what is, what, what a god is or does or wants or will do for whom under what circumstances, I'm always interested to know how they determine that. So I ask them, Good. how do you know that? Good yeah. question. And what I always, the usual reaction I get to this, even from my, uh, it, well, the usual reaction I get is, well, you, well, they they basically assume immediately that I'm not only saying that they're wrong, but that gods don't exist at all. Okay. And so they they immediately frame me as 
you know, an atheist, and it's gotten to the point where even my family seems to suspect that I'm an atheist. Okay. Uh, yeah, it, it's... Well, now, personally, I would yeah, say if you can't beat him, join him. Yeah. Uh, maybe so, you should consider it, so, but I... <laughs> are you an atheist? No, no. Oh, okay. But I wouldn't make a factual assertion about what a god is or isn't because I have an absolutely no basis on which to do such a thing, which is... Okay. Yeah. Uh, may I ask, what flavor of theist are you? Uh, where do you uh, um, get your inspiration about that sort of thing? Um, mainly from old Germanic poetry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> do they know? I mean, where do they get that information? So what? So I. I I don't. Well, it, it's I don't not, quite get that. It's not a claim about. Right. It, it's not a claim about uh, nature. It's you know social ideas. Mm. So I guess uh, I, I for don't example, understand the, you know, the, the the answer to the question because I, I think you were asking what kind of theist is. Yeah. Is like, would what do you? I mean, would you identify as a Christian or what? Oh no. Um, okay. No, I worship the old Germanic pantheon. Okay. okay. That's weird. All right. But fine. Yeah, I guess so. Why? Um, why? Well, I guess that's uh that's a complicated question to answer that well, would probably I, take a really long time. I mean, for, forgive me for saying so, but uh your <laughs> Like, you've got a very non-mainstream kind of religion, and I'm not at all surprised yeah. that you that people would identify you as an atheist since you don't believe in anything they recognize as God. Yeah. Right? Yeah, if you don't believe in their God, it's like you don't believe in any gods. Yeah, right. I, and I, can't, I have a hard time believing that you are surprised in any way by that. Yeah. Uh, like, um, uh, um, do you... Think that these old Germanic gods are real and have minds and exist and influence things. I'm not quite familiar with your type of religion. Uh, that's no, that's totally okay. Most people aren't. Um, okay. Well, in in our communities, we have sort of a split. Uh, we have hard polytheists who believe exactly as you just suggested. And then we have soft polytheists who generally accept that these gods are archetypes of, um, you know, of social values or personifications of nature. Okay. Um, and I, I fall into the latter group. So you don't actually believe the gods exist? Yeah, I'd almost say go ahead and believe that, but you're not believing in a god. Yeah. <laughs> like it, that doesn't sound like much of a god to me. Yeah. I mean, that's almost like um, a satanic temple kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it might be. I, I'm not too familiar with them. Um, well, the the um, I would point out that in in almost <clears throat> any circumstance other than a discussion about epistemology, you would not be able to tell the difference between a soft and a hard polytheist. What about um, the difference between a soft polytheist and an atheist? Well, an atheist doesn't take part in any religious activities. Well, that's not true. An atheist no. doesn't. That, that is not okay, true. Okay, you're right. You're right. That's not true. But um, 
but I would suggest that when an atheist does take part in religious activities, they're usually doing it for friends or family members who who are believers nope. in those religious nope. activities. Nope. No. There are you Buddhists. There are Buddhists who are atheists. Ah, uh, yes, I forgot the, are, the atheistic are, religions. There are uh, Unitarians. Unitarians I mean, who are those, atheists. Those, that's real popular uh, among people who don't really feel good about the atheist word. Yeah, they call it you know right. church for atheist parents. Yes, you're right. Um, let me rephrase that then. I would propose that atheists do not generally take part in the worship of deities. That's true. And you do? Yes, I just happen to acknowledge that those deities don't have any intrinsic basis in nature. Okay, so you human so do it for fun. You just don't take it that uh, seriously. Well, it's not fun, really. It's... Yeah. Um, it's a way of extolling virtues and ideas about society in a way that has a um, a really powerful um, emotional impact. Okay. All right. Well, whatever works for you, man. Yeah, but the what when I was really um, what I re, what I was really confused by was not the perception of me but the inability to separate um, inability to separate questioning how somebody claims to know something from from the assertion that the thing not only isn't known but isn't right at all does that make sense um, i don't really quite understand what you're saying but okay, okay. if someone is claiming that, if someone is claiming something as a fact about anything, whether it's religious or not. And my question is, how do you know that? Mm -hmm. That shouldn't, someone shouldn't think that that has any reflection on whether I accept the idea or <clears throat> not, or what I think about it if I don't, right? It should only be, it's just a question about what the factual basis is for the claim that's being made. Okay. Okay. Uh, I guess what I would say to you and uh, is that uh, the quality of being skeptical <laughs> and, and generally trying to get at the root of knowledge is something that not a lot of self-identified Christians, and I'm sure that's most of who you know living over there in Georgia, um, have or consider to be a good thing. And so... Uh, you know, yeah, I, I think that uh, skepticism is identified with not just atheism, but with wickedness in general. Yeah. Now, uh, the other thing is, are these people, when you ask this question, are they aware of your religious beliefs? Uh, usually no. Um, okay. Right. But if, but I, I mean, if, if asked, I'm, I'm usually, right. at least in those circumstances, I'm willing to say, you know, hey, I'm not an atheist, but it seems weird that that people would get that impression at all. People I, at aren't psychic. Me, they can't. Probably... Yeah. I mean, who who would predict that you have this obscure Germanic thing? Yeah. Uh, if, no, well, they wouldn't. If I heard you, I could just as easily be a Christian. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't see how it gives the impression that that I think that they're wrong just because I want to know how it is that they could. Uh, that they could claim to know about something which nobody could possibly know about, even if it is really real. 
Yeah, religious yeah. people are defensive, and the the dirty little secret is that they have uh, outward confident belief in something that they don't really understand, and uh, right. when they get questioned on it, it kind of sets off processes in their own mind sometimes uh, that, hey, I don't really have a good reason for it, and that makes me not so sure that the stuff I believe is true and so they project that onto you, like, this guy is saying what I don't believe is not true. Persecute the infidel. <laughs> oh, one, one question I always like to bring up, especially when I'm talking with the really hard polytheists, is um, what would have happened if an ancient Greek had actually climbed up Mount Olympus? Nothing. They yeah. would have gotten to a mountaintop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And and they all they all must have known that, right? Like if they really believed that there really were gods really at the top of that mountain, surely they would have gone up there instead of building these giant temples out of marble. Yeah, and I guess understanding that that's the case, it must also feel very safe to have this vague, ill-defined type of religion that doesn't have a Mount Olympus to climb. I'm... <laughs> uh... Maybe someday you ought to consider uh, actually uh, thinking about what atheism does have to offer. But anyway, uh, I think we're going to go on to the next caller. It's been good talking yeah, to sure. you. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you too. All right. I'm sure that somebody climbed Mount Olympus. Probably. I mean... If, you know, was Mount Mount Olympus is real, right? Yeah, it's, it's I'm, like I'm the so highest. So bad at geography. Yes, I'm sorry. It, yeah, it's the highest mountain in in um, I believe Greece, yeah. and and I, I'm certain that someone climbed it and probably came back down and said, "Hey, man, there's nothing up there." And mm-hmm. some other people said, "Oh, <clears throat> no, you know, the gods um, hid where they live in Mount Olympus because it's a special place, and you, mm-hmm. you know." You need to worship at the Temple of Athena or whatever, and you can go back and they'll let you in or right. something. Okay, uh, Peter in Virginia, how are you? I'm good. How are you all doing? Pretty good. Right. Excellent. Um, I just had to turn my speakerphone off. Uh, this this call is I'm sort of piggybacking on the on the shoulders of the caller earlier who was talking about near death experiences. Now, mm-hmm. as an atheist myself, I don't think near death experiences are indicative of any sort of supernat anything supernatural or any sort of god or heaven. I just as most scientists have figured out, they're you know malfunctionings in the brain. But I did think it was interesting that. Uh, one thing you talked about was sort of how vivid some of these experiences can be, uh, vivid in such a manner that they are almost indistinguishable from reality. And there's also this element of it's almost as though when people have these experiences, their sense of time is warped in such a sense that it, it can make the experiences last much longer than they actually last. So one question that I thought I would ask is, do you all, as atheists, I mean, obviously, I take it you don't think there's a real hell or heaven, but do you ever find yourself um, afraid of a hellish experience? Because even though it's just a, you know, it's, it's just a, um, uh, a product of the imagination, if it if it if it seems that vivid and real, that would be enough to be, you know, scared of it. I mean, I'm just wondering. Well, I mean, I don't personally um, 
spend any time worrying about that, but I know that there are certain types of mental illness that I think can probably feel like a hellish experience for people that are in the middle of them. Um, yeah. So I know that that sort of thing um, exists for people in reality and and that, you know, that is something that some people fear and with good reason. Um, okay. I, I also don't deal with hellish experiences much. Uh, having been uh, raised atheist as a kid, I never had to take those uh, ideas very seriously, and some of them sort of bubbled up in popular culture, and, but they just didn't seem real. There was a period when I was in college where I sort of uh, intellectually wondered, uh, you know, shouldn't I think about what happens if I'm wrong? And, uh, you know, I spent more time contemplating it and maybe uh, I can't remember being all that worried about it ever. And nowadays, I, uh, you know, when somebody threatens me with hell, I don't bat an eye because it's not something that ever yeah. was one of my deep-seated fears at all. Uh, but I yeah, have I mean, talked to a lot of ex-Christians who were raised with the concept of hell and can't escape the, you know, the fear and the nightmares uh, that maybe they right. are going to experience an eternity of torment. It, it's a yeah. lot of shit to put in your brain yeah, to, and to it, deal with. And, and, you know, it's good that you brought that up because we get email from people from time to time <clears> who are um, just in the process of leaving religion and theism behind, and they still struggle with a fear of hell. So um, that's something, yeah, I think it's like you, you get that, that little bit of indoctrination planted in your brain early on, and it's really hard to lose that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, um, I mean, I, I'm, would, I, I will admit I probably do fall into that category because I was, well, okay, so I was sort of a very pious Christian up until a certain age, probably uh, 15 or so. And then there was a point where I just sort of, I, I, I identified as a Christian, but it was really, I mean, I, the only, I had bad reasons for doing so. And one of those bad reasons was sort of the Pascal's wager. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I would always try to convince myself that that I believed in a God and that, oh, no, no, I, I believe in a God for good reasons. I believe in him this God because he's good and loving. And then I realized, I I think it was a few spring, uh, it was in 2015. I listened to Richard Dawkins book uh, to pop on another call, the (laughs) God delusion. And slowly, but surely it started to my faith, even if you can call it that started to just, just erode away until finally I just said this, you know, this stuff has just made me a prisoner my entire life. I I just, I have to identify as atheist because I don't know if there's a God, and even if there is one, as as Matt Dillhunty always likes to say, I mean, if if the if the God of the even if the God of the Bible is real, or I would say even the God of the Quran, he's a prick. I mean, he's a sadistic prick. You know, this sort yeah. of this worship, and I mean, screw that, that sort of thing. So, and and part the hell was the thing that I think the whole Pascal's yeah. wager thing was what was keeping me there. So, yeah. Well, yeah, and it sounds like, I mean, that that whole Pascal's Wager thing, it's almost like people get to that point, and I almost want to tell them, hey, it's good news. You're, like, just around the corner <laughs> to losing all of this fear and everything. Um, but on the other yeah. hand, it's pretty terrifying to to kind of be in the grip of that 
you know, but but yeah, that that is like the last thin veneer of of what people consider to be faith, and it's really not faith. It's just the fear and indoctrination in clinging on with the last little hook it has in somebody. Right, because if you're at the point of Pascal's wager, like you're beyond the point of justifying why there probably right. is a God. You're just saying, mm, even if there probably isn't, I'd better act yeah. like I think there is one. I think even uh, Pascal himself would have said, yeah, that, you know, this is sort of a last-ditch argument. Yeah. He was a pretty smart guy, mathematician and stuff. Yeah. He was mistaken about this thing. Yes. I think. Well, and that and it's important think, to note that he okay. was also arguing for a specific flavor of Christianity, Catholicism in particular. So it wasn't just yeah. that you had to believe in the Christian God, it's that you had to be Catholic, too. Hmm. Yeah, that, that was that, that's the interesting thing, because I took philosophy in college, so reading sort of the, the philosophies of the sort of medieval philosophers, mm-hmm. they, it, it always kind of amused me that they always tried to be so open, but in the end it was <laughs> always just leading the evidence back to Catholicism. Yeah. Um, yeah. My okay. my favorite old timey uh, philosopher was uh, uh, what's that guy's name? He he wrote "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God." His name will come to me in a second. But uh, oh, was it Jonathan Edwards? Oh. I mean, oh, no, okay. and I I say favorite in a very sarcastic <laughs> way, but I mean he just lays on this disgust and hatred of humanity as his, you know, as his explanation for why you'd better get right with God. And as a lifelong atheist, I found him hilarious. (laughs) Uh, Interesting. I I, I ought to read that just to... Yeah, don't necessarily read Jonathan Edwards (laughs) directly. Uh, I think the okay. first time I came across the idea of Jonathan Edwards or some of the things that Jonathan Edwards was saying was when I read a guy who I did like as a philosopher. He was a philo- uh, a mathematician named Raymond Smullyan, uh, and he wrote an essay called Is God a Taoist? Which maybe isn't seriously arguing for Taoism, but makes a pretty... Uh, compelling and entertaining case for uh, what an atheist might accept as godlike. Uh, I'm yeah. not sure what Raymond Smullyan is. He he's kind of a Taoist, kind of an atheist. Yeah. Uh, but it's a it's a funny essay. It's like a dialogue between man and this vaguely defined god that's nothing like the Christian god. I'll just, I'll just check that out as well. Yeah. Um, one quick question before uh, I, I, I know you, you all probably got a lot of callers, so just ask one more quick question if it's okay. Do you all think, I just thought of this during the midst of the call, do you all think there are instances where Pascal's, where the notion of Pascal's wager could be applied to sort of secular concepts? Like, I I mean, I almost, if somebody wanted to say, um, you know, let's say you're talking about something related to terrorism or something, and, um, I don't know what the circumstances would be in which this you'd have Pascal's wager, but it'd be like, what you know, if you're wrong? There'll be a terrorist attack. You what know who wrong, made that exact argument? Dick Cheney. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I mean, literally, there was a book I read called The One Percent Doctrine, which was a quote from Dick Cheney who said, you know, even if there was a one percent chance of catastrophic destruction of our of our way of life, uh, we'd have to treat it as a hundred percent certainty. 
And of course, we all know where that philosophy wound up. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I thank you all for taking my call, and uh, it was good to get your perspective on that issue. All right. Thanks. Thanks for calling. All right. Thank you. Mary in Scotland. Scotland. I guess I'm going to try to say this. Uh, it's Perthshire, right? Perthshire, right? Yes, Perthshire. Woohoo! Woohoo! Um, I got people complaining, got people about, complaining my about my pronunciation of Scottish town names. By the way, there's an echo. By you should way, turn off echo. your stream if you've got it running still. Running still. Um, wait a minute. Is that better? Let me see. That, yes. Yes, that appears yes. to be better. Yes, appears a little better. better. Actually, I still hear myself faintly, but it's much better. Much better. Hi. Hi. How are you? Hello. How are you? Yes, good, good. How are yourself? I'm, I'm good. Yeah. I'm just, um, well, I'm thinking about God and nature and... I think I'm actually a bit of a pagan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I mean, I feel God is all around us mm. and it is um, subjective to each individual. And religion, well, you probably know yourselves, religion is the cause of a lot of trouble in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's just an individual's, um, you know, opinion on things. Nature and God is everywhere. I think God is within yourself and how you feel. So that life is. Uh-huh. What do you mean when you say um, when you say God? I mean, well, what is God? You know, nobody knows. Nobody. So, but you believe in something and you don't know what it is. What it is. Um. Yeah. Maybe. I believe in myself and I believe in the sun and I believe in nature and, you know, the seasons and... Well, but those things can uh, be demonstrated you know, to exist. Rebirth. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I believe most can't... of those things are real, too. Okay. Uh, but I don't call them God. There's yeah. a... Okay, well, maybe it's just people's definition of God needs to be looked at because and also just because um, something can't be proved at that uh, one time doesn't mean that it doesn't exist for example hundreds of years ago the Scots believed that uh, plants grew at night in a good full moon yet it wasn't proven yeah I'm sure <laughs> hundreds of years later they did prove that plants grew <laughs> I know I'm a little bit, it's maybe a little bit facetious, but you don't know. Nobody knows, and that's the thing. Well, but the thing is, I believe if, maybe that ma- is, if you if you assert that yes. this thing you're calling God has some impact on the real world, has some impact on the real world, then we could we should be able to like, test that. Uh-huh. And so every time well, people have tried to test that that you know impact on the world, um, it's failed. So at it's, some point we can conclude point, that this thing that people are claiming doesn't exist. This thing that people are claiming doesn't exist. What about like people like Betty Shine and Michael Benteen and even John 
Edward, things like that. <laughs> people like that. You know, I, I mean, ultimately, I, I know people want to believe that your mind energy goes on and all that is left when anybody dies or whatever uh, is love. You know, love is all there is. I know that sound, I don't mean it to sound, um, you know, it's all, it really is all there is. You know, it's not, um, what's the word they're looking for? It's not, I can't think just now, but it really is. That's well, true. Well, Love well, is well, all there is. But what do you mean by that? I mean, when you say that when you're gone, all that remains is love, what, what does that even mean? Well, for example, if somebody dies, you think you like to believe, okay, they're, they're not here, there's nothing left here. But you hope, and some things like coincidences, is there such a thing as coincidence or is yes. something yeah. happen yeah. that, you know, it's serendipitous of whatever or your your mind waves or, you know, the good vibrations of things come round. I don't know. I don't, I don't understand how somebody can be so... Um, you know, sure that there is nothing. I know sometimes it feels yeah. like that, and yes, you're right, as in Eliastes <clears throat> in the let, Bible. Let, let me put it this way. Um, I mean, ev huh? everything that we've studied about uh, mind and intelligence uh, indicates that it's tied to a physical process like your brain functioning. Uh, and if you shut down the electrical impulses to your brain and things stop happening, the the minds of other people keep going on and they remember things about you and that's real um, the, uh, to the extent that memories are real and that's a whole different right. rabbit hole. But, uh, I mean, there's all indications that uh, the idea that a personality or a consciousness keeps going on after the physical death of your brain is mostly wishful thinking. I mean, it could happen. You know, the, it would. Right. It is nice to think that it would happen because it's sad to uh, to lose somebody that you love, and it's also sad for me to think that someday I won't be around, uh, living and having a good time anymore. Um, but there's not currently any reason to think otherwise. I think we all pass into legend at some time or other, and that's fine. But, you know, who knows, maybe at the time of death or for like a wee while after that you're able to sort things out before you move to some other dimension or before you go in, you know, into peace. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean... Well, nobody it's, knows, it's, though. It's very nice and tempting wishful thinking. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, there's there's no denying it, and it's why there's a lot of literature and, and movies and stuff that speculate on what might happen after you die. But that's really all it is, as far as we know, is speculation and human creativity making stuff up. Well, one could speculate also that there is oblivion, and as in that Marcus sure. Aurelius says, you know, it is oblivion. There's nothing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So enjoy your life, because this is heaven. 
Sure. You know, we're heaven on earth and as above, so below, whatever. So enjoy it, you know, eat well, drink well, work well, and be thankful you're alive because you're a long time deed. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, okay. I mean, we, yeah, we well, can, uh, I think we can agree on this, which is basically if there's an afterlife, we have no way of knowing what it is. We have no way of knowing what might impact or influence on it. So you might as well just live the best life that you can, uh, regardless of what you think will happen next. And maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, that would be nice. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks for calling. Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Good night. Bye. But I don't think we will. Yeah. (laughs) Uh. Okay, who's next? I'm not sure who's been on the longest. Oh, looks like... Hmm. All right. <laughs> Joel in Alabama, how are you? Hello. Um, I would like to give an argument for reincarnation. Okay. And it doesn't, it doesn't involve anything supernatural. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, let me... Wait, I think I know read... where you're going to go. Okay, let me go just ahead. read three paragraphs. Three, three short paragraphs, then we can talk about it. <clears throat> um, patterns recur in nature. Awareness occurs in patterns. Therefore, awareness recurs in nature. Wow, and that's, that's a lot to pattern. unpack already. Yeah. I know, I know. Um, a baby's awareness could develop in utero in such a way that it had the same awareness as a baby from a 1,000 years ago. Thus, it would be the same baby since awareness is identity. Awareness is identity because awareness is the way a person processes pleasure and pain. Okay, and then then the baby processes uh, information and stimuli in predictable ways in patterns. The awareness of sadness is the same for me as it is for you. Otherwise, empathy would not be possible. The same parts of the brain are responsible for self-awareness in every person so that self-awareness is one thing, one pattern of activity. But more importantly, it's the same feeling for everyone. I I would say similar. I wouldn't say the same. Um, Well, let me ask you this. Okay. Do you think that a one-day-old baby, its awareness, do you think there's any precedent for that awareness anywhere in history? What do you mean by that? There have been billions of babies. What are you talking about? Yeah. Okay. So if there's a precedent for it, why why can't we say that it has the same awareness as a one-day-old baby that was born prior maybe a thousand years ago? Because it's like saying that these two snowflakes are both snowflakes, so they're the same no, snowflakes. No, no. I mean, I know okay, that's well, a bit that... of a cliche, but... Uh... No, 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 no. It's not, it's not the same as saying two physical things are the same, because Wait. I'm, not <laughs> suggesting that, that, I'm not suggesting that a physical object can cease to exist and exist again, but the same thought can be thought more than once by numerous people. Uh, again, I would say similar thoughts can be yeah. thought by more than one people. Well, if I mean, I can... I mean, forgive I me, I'm a computer programmer, so I'm really, really precise. They're not pointers to the same object. They're, they're, they're copies of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I said that's the pot calling the kettle black, what? that's the same, that's the same phrase you anything. that's been used. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm saying if, if I say that, okay. if I say that's the pot calling the kettle black, 
that is that phrase has been used millions of times, and it's the same phrase. Sure. So it's, it's, there's a differentiation between saying awareness recurs in patterns and saying that a physical object can recur. I don't think a physical object can recur. I think the patterns of awareness can recur. And so, it, I mean, it, it is – I can have the same emotion as someone else because it's the same patternation in the brain. Yeah, but I mean, I mean I, even – okay, let's run with your example. If you say the, the pot calling the, differ, the kettle black, you and I have different uh, experiences and backgrounds. And so it might trigger yeah. different kinds of specific thoughts uh, when you say the pot calling the kettle black. I mean, somebody – who uh, lived in 19th century England, where I'm going to assume that they said that all the time, as opposed to now, mm -hmm. like, like the first time you hear that phrase, if you're maybe a teenager or something, you're like, what are they even talking about? What, <laughs> you know, what do pots and kettles have to do with this? Um, and maybe... Uh, you come from an environment where it's a point of pride to uh, uh, to be criticized in a particular way because, you know, you're contrarian. And so the feelings or thoughts that it triggers when you hear the same cliche are similar to each other, assuming you have a shared context, but they're not the exact same feelings in your brain, or at least there's they no be. way to know. But they could be. I mean, two snowflakes could be identical, but they're generally no, no, not. But it's it's not, really unlikely. It's, 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 not the, it's not the same because, I mean, to say, like, for instance, I have a heater in front of me. Uh -huh. If I throw the heater into, you know, a, a volcano and it vanishes, I'm not going to produce the same heater later on. But okay. the way in which – but I can say that um, I dance the same dance more than once or I think the same thought more than once. It's possible to think the same thought more than once. They're similar. They fall into the same category. That doesn't well, mean well, they're it, identical. But, are, but would you admit that it's possible for, the, for, for it to think the same thought more than once? In the same way that it's possible for snoo two snowflakes to be exactly the same, technically, yeah. But yeah. is it likely? But, I mean, this, this is, well... Is it likely? Yes, I think it is because hmm. uh, because what well, well, here's in, in, in the basic <clears throat> argument the basic argument is sound if you consider that um, uh, awareness is a pattern that recurs in nature patterns recur in nature awareness occurs in patterns therefore awareness recurs in nature well I think I, I do think that um, like when you talk about sadness it's it's a certain patternation in the brain and the sadness I experience, it's definitely possible that it's the same thing you experience. It's okay. not possible. You see what I'm saying? No. Well, I mean, I see what you think you're saying, but I think it's way too vague to nail down an exact, a, a real answer. I mean, at this point, it just seems like we're arguing over what kind of words to use. And you seem very keen on convincing me that they're identical and I'm not convinced. I, I don't know how much farther this conversation can go since we're kind of talking past each yeah. other. Well, I, I definitely believe that the argument is sound, though. Okay, I, I don't. I'm, I'm unconvinced of that. 
You don't? Why not? Yeah. But, oh, well, because you believe it's not. Because you can't. Well, if you say that, I mean, here, what about, okay, this is like the fine-tuning argument. How likely is it that we would be here today, given all the conditions and causes that had to come about exactly right? And yet we're here. And so, and, and if there's a multiverse, it may be possible that there are like parallel universes in which there are humans. I could end up there. I could end up. Mm-hmm. You, you I, I'm know, not sure you, this you is helping your it, it, argument. <laughs> yeah. Well, but it is because I'm opening up more possibilities. I'm <laughs> saying there are more no, possibilities. No, trust me, it's not helping your argument. Well, if you believe there's an infinite multiverse, there would have to be. But another. we don't. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> I mean, or uh, we don't assume that there's an infinite <laughs> multiverse. But but okay. But let me get back to the original argument. Okay. There doesn't well, have to be. There doesn't have to be even another world because, like I say, these patterns, the these patterns of awareness are definitely repeat. I mean, they repeat within our own lifetime. Yeah, yes, you, okay. yes, you, keep, you keep saying that, but yeah. you've not demonstrated. I'm, I'm dropping him. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Asserting the same thing over and over again doesn't actually establish that your argument is sound. Right. Okay. okay. Where are we going next? We are going to Jacksonville, Florida, where we will speak to Terrence. Hey, hey, guys. How you doing? All right. Good. How are you? All right. I'm doing fine. This is actually the first time I actually called. I'm surprised I actually made it. Well, welcome. <laughs> All right. Well, I am I am currently an atheist, uh, but I've been raised uh, as a black Protestant for my entire life. So I've been like indoctrinated because my mo- my mother she's like really into it, uh, and I also have been raised. I mean, I also went to private school and learned about uh, God and all that. It's not until like at at thirty from last year that I really started um looking into everything that I taught about because everything that I've been taught um my entire <clears throat> life I I I have my skeptic but I actually know that it's not real. None of it. Um and it really did screw me over when when it comes to education and everything. Um, and I'm, and I'm also, um, have an autistic spectrum. I must, I have Asperger's mm. and it's really hard to actually, um, to associate. So excuse me from stuttering. How, how specifically did it affect your education? Were, were you homeschooled or anything? I'm not homeschooled. I went to, I went to a Christian school Okay. Mm. and it's a black Christian school down by the inner city. I don't really live there, but. My parents, my my parents got like community there. Okay. So they're like a lot of friends. So what? Um, but yeah, the, the school there was not that great. Um, it was like a lot of rowdy kids. Um, I didn't really, I don't know, I didn't really learn anything from the high school. I just happened to graduate without even knowing what the hell I was studying. And I actually come to realize when. Once I actually define myself as an atheist, uh, I it, um, they don't really care about education that much. That's that's why I, how I feel because when I start studying, I just keep I'm, I'm learning stuff. 
and I didn't, and I personally didn't take education seriously, because all I want, all I do is just need to have the talent, and I have to pray to God that um, He do recognize my talent, and that become a success. It's just really pretty bad advice. Uh, well, let me ask you something. What denomination were you um, indoctrinated into? What denomination? Yeah. I was going to say Baptist. Okay, so some kind of Baptist mm-hmm. church. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I want to say Baptist. Uh, but the thing is that I I really study um, into the Bible, and I just want to um, know why I haven't become a success, and I've been praying and all that, but it's just when it comes to times that I that my skepticism actually got oh got past me, and then, then I start reading into the Bible, and after reading the whole book, I it's probably like the worst thing I ever read in my life. Huh. Yeah, a lot of yeah. us have had that it's experience. Not great. Nope. No, it's all, no, no, it's pretty bad. Uh, then I start studying into the stories that came in, and that opened a whole new um, um, can of worms. Uh, I read the stuff from Epic of Gilgamesh, um, yeah. which is probably going to be my next YouTube name. So check out that one. Um, and other ancient myths that's actually common with the story from the Bible, and it's it's just got it's just. Um, <laughs> It's just through my mind what I've been um, believing this in my entire life. And once I came out with my um, mother, which I love dearly, I love my mother dearly, but once I came out as an atheist, she did not take that well. Um, she was about to walk out on me. Um, and sometimes when I come to visit um, a topic like, uh, religion comes up, and she keeps bugging me of what do I believe, and I was like, I don't believe anything in the supernatural, and that argument started exploding, and I know I can't really talk to her because she just screams out that um, st- um, stay away from me, um, devil, and and it really breaks my, it really breaks my heart because yeah. I'm, I don't have any friends, and I'm autistic. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it's really difficult to me to actually find a community there because I'm pretty much the only black person in my um, family or in my community that's actually an atheist. Mm. Okay. Well, I promise you you're not the only black person in your community who's an atheist. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm not the only black person. It's just feel yeah. that way because I'm, I know. I'm on my own on that. Yeah. My, my entire, my entire um, family is theist, mm-hmm. and only, only a few of them would actually um, talk to me about it and feel badly and confess to me otherwise. Yeah. So basically, um, deconverting like you did and then revealing that you're an atheist to your family has caused some problems for you, namely that your family took it poorly. And Well, mainly my mother. My father was a bit over-minded and tried to understand what, I mean, what I'm at, but I, I don't know how okay. about that. But. Yeah. Yeah, well, it actually it actually made a ridge, and I'm probably might I'm probably might not be around them for too much longer. Yeah. But we're, but at the very least, um, we don't talk about the about our religious belief. Yeah. Because that was just going to open up a big conflict. Because nobody in 
my family ever been deconverted like that before. Yeah. Well, and, the th and, and not talking about it may be the only way to preserve the relationship. So if sure. you know if they agree not to to basically push their religious beliefs on you, you know, and you agree not to talk about your lack of belief around them, then maybe that's the way to go forward and still maintain a relationship with them. You know, right. if that's yeah, what you want. The thing, yeah, the thing is, I also have a niece, and I know she's going to probably be in doctor. Well, she's more yep. likely going to be in doctor. Yep, probably. And, yeah. and you know what? There might not be anything you can do about that. Yeah, yeah I know. I'm I just, I just, I was just want to know if I could give her uh, any sound advice when she's growing up, if she's going to ask me I, about this because she think wants, she may want to know. In a situation like that, all you can really do is uh, be there for her and yeah. and be a cool uncle so that she, I, yeah. I mean, which may be difficult if you're autistic. I don't really know your situation, but I mean, you well, know, it's, be. It's Asperger's, um, it's uh, Asperger's. Uh, sorry, my my mistake. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, with it's Asperger's, right. so, like sometimes it's a little challenging to relate to people, but I know yeah. it's not impossible. Um, and. Uh, uh, so, I mean, be approachable, be someone she likes, and, uh, you know, if she starts to have doubts that she can't discuss with her parents, maybe she'll come to you. But, I mean, also do not assume or or tie up your entire sense of self-worth in fixing your niece's life because, yeah, yeah. Um, because you yeah. can't uh, you can't be fully responsible for another person. They get to make their own choices at some point. But there are also a couple of other things that I would suggest, which is uh, one is since you're calling from Jacksonville, Florida, like there's a meetup group called uh, Jack's Atheists uh, Atheists that you can Google uh, that apparently meets regularly for trivia nights and uh, burgers. And jam sessions sometimes, it looks like. Uh, you might want to check that out just because, uh, you know, not that this should replace your entire social sphere, but they might be people that you can relate to in certain ways. Well, the other thing, too, is online communities. Uh-huh. Uh, there's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of online communities on Facebook, on other, you know, um, I guess online type uh, social network, social media um, that you can take advantage of. Um, and, you know, as, as someone with Asperger's, maybe that would be a more comfortable kind of social outlet for you. Um, certainly. Yeah, I'm, I'm, also, I'm also thinking about um, uh, going back <laughs> to YouTube and start commenting on the issues I'm having with my, with the black community yeah. when it comes to religion and stuff like that. Yeah. And yeah. So that's, that's what I'm also planning to do. Yeah, and, and another thing I would say is, like, you know, it's great that you've come to some conclusions and felt comfortable deconverting. And I know from talking to a lot of people that sometimes when people uh, leave religion, all they want to think about is atheism for a while and and looking up better and better ways to debunk religion. And, you know, that's cool and all, and I encourage that. But also, um, don't let it occupy all your time because right. there's, there's a lot of other things. Like, for instance, you said that you don't feel like you got a great education. There's a remedy yeah, you know, for that. I actually totally agree. I totally agree with that. Yeah. And 
because of that, I'm actually going back to school. Very good. Going back to school. Yeah. Good. Community college now. Uh, go back to school Great. if you I'm can. Really and if you can't, like, uh, think, pick a topic that you're interested in and read some something that has nothing to do with religion. Learn a language or something. Yeah. But, uh, but you said you're going back to community college, and that's great. Yeah, listen to uh, an I think e-book. that's fantastic. Yeah, go do do the community college thing. Also, it will yeah. bring you in touch with a lot of people who aren't just your immediate family who frustrates you. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's actually a great thing. Uh, I'm actually studying human anatomy. Oh, good. Good. Cool. So yeah, I'm actually yeah I'm actually having a lot of fun. I saw a lot of interesting stuff. That's I'm good to hear. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time. Okay, yes. man. Thank you. Good luck. Good to hear from All you. Right. All right. Thanks. <clears throat> and with that, I think we are about out of time. Yes. Uh, one thing I didn't mention is that um, uh, the Atheist Community of Austin has a new financial advisor, Phil Ferguson, who's going to be uh, visiting us, and he's going to be a guest on the show in a couple of weeks. Uh, Tracy Harris is going to be hosting, and uh, I've seen him at a couple of conferences, and he's a fun guy, so you want to yeah. check that out. Um, and so we here in Austin are all headed for Star of India for dinner. Hope you'll join us, and uh, talk, see you again next week. Russell Glasser, host of The Atheist Experience. You know, The Atheist Experience is made possible by volunteers and the generous support of viewers like you. If the promotion of positive atheist culture and separation of church and state are values that you hold, please consider contributing by becoming an ACA member or visiting our product page at EvolveFish.com under the Partner tab. Thank you. Security threats are everywhere. But with Xfinity XFi, you're notified of threats to your in-home Wi-Fi network, so all your connected devices are protected. That's simple, easy, awesome. Switch to Xfinity today and get a great offer. You'll get the best in-home Wi-Fi experience with Xfinity XFi. Plus, you'll get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway. That's a $72 value per year. No other provider offers this. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Security threats are everywhere. But with Xfinity XFi, you're notified of threats to your in-home Wi-Fi network, so all your connected devices are protected. That's simple, easy, awesome. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit today. Restrictions apply.